Hey gang, welcome to Dateline Louisiana, a provocative look at the deepest of the deep southern states. Thoughts that are informative, candid, humorous, and sometimes controversial about life in one of the most interesting and rabble-rousing states in the nation. Here are your hosts, Anna Gray and Jim Brown. Hello there, all you podcast listeners. Glad you joined us at DatelineLouisiana.com. I'm Jim Brown with my co-host, Rhonda Gray. Rhonda, a happy 105 degrees summer weather that we're going to be seeing all through July and August as our, pod- as our podcast listeners are taking all this. You're handling the heat okay? I would not say I'm handling the heat okay. I've never seen heat index or real feels like we have uh, this summer. I want to shake all those climate change deniers and say, don't sit in the air conditioning. Uh, get up, get up, go outside. So and you feel what's happening. That's going to be a, a, a really a subject for another day. But uh, I find the whole climate change argument hard to understand. It's not simply one, two, three. And uh, I think everyone is concerned that things are going on, uh, that uh, we hear about rising seas down the Gulf Coast. We live in Louisiana. Uh, we hear about uh, temperature uh, ranges a lot higher we hear about different weather problems all over the country with wildfires and flooding. And so we know there's a problem, but uh, it, I'm not sure it's been articulated well enough to where the average person, and I'm the average person, and you are too, and our listeners really have a grip on what's causing it. Is it, uh, uh, and you know, you say, well, we got too much emissions in the air. Well, uh, but we might be able to cut down on some things in Louisiana, but what about in China and Japan and all these other countries? And is there some kind of a unified effort? I don't really understand. And again, that's a show for a later date, but it's, it's a tough issue. Well, there you... is a unified effort, and countries all across the world are cutting emissions. And, of course, our previous president took us out of those agreements that we were in with other countries. But you're right. It's complicated, uh, but— I find us to be a country that something has to happen for us to react to. We don't seem to have the ability to be proactive and base things on someone's knowledge or science or something and say, we should take some precautions here. We've got to let the bad happen, and then we go into action there. And I think that's where we are now. I think people are shocked by weather uh, across the country now, and they're starting to finally— do some things. Well, is that a reflection of our elected officials where we, as you said, we react rather than act? In other words, we react to the crisis at hand rather than saying, hey, and, and I've heard about climate change for a number of years. So it's not like it's any new subject at all. But again, getting to the root problem of solutions that are simple for the average listener to understand uh, it's, it's a tough it, sell. It has become political. It's totally political when scientists at Rice University and places doing research are forbidden from putting the words climate change in a scientific report by the governor of Texas. That's politicizing science. So, yes, it's, it's totally political. And then it goes to, I think, the fact that uh, we've torn down a lot of our institutions through politics and the political discord, we've torn down institutions so no one believes them. We just went through that with vaccines. Now the CDC 
who people used to just kind of assume if the CDC said it, we should do it. No one believes that anymore. Or very fewer people believe that. I don't want to say no one. But we've torn down institutions that people did follow, and now everything's up for debate. And everybody on the street knows as much as a scientist somewhere working on something, or at least that's that's what they believe. Well, like you say, you were referring to President Donald Trump that uh, that put aside the agreements we had with, with the U.N. and other countries. But is it all a Republican blaming issue? Is it is it is it all one party that says like there's some advantages uh, to uh, stirring the pot and, and and saying that's you know and, and trying to say no they're trying to rock the status quo. It's those liberals. Is it that simple? Uh, you think, or is there? I mean, who's who's the bad guy in the fight? Well, he certainly did a lot for the first time in history to uh, question uh, America's institutions. And we never had really gone there. We, not that we were sheep. We certainly questioned some of the decisions people made. But I think it went further under him. But uh, I don't know. I mean, that his party has, in my opinion, gone a little further than others or than the Democrats. But it's anybody who... Um, tears down the institutions, the foundations of your government uh, and doesn't allow people to put inf- good information out there to the public. So, uh, Well, uh, uh, you can get a lot of issues to where uh, it's— uh, you know, it's not clear cut, but you can see where there's been the divisiveness. But then there's other issues that are that uh, try to build some divisiveness that, again, are hard to understand. You take we live in the state that's a big oil producer, and there's a major push because a lot of the oil and gas activities create uh, the dangers that affect climate change. And there's people that say we've got to get away from uh, these renewable uh, or the, these uh, fuels that are not renewable. But then, you know, you, you, you take uh, the, the electric cars and the car themselves and everything that goes into the car and, uh, is all made out of, out of fuel, you know, out of gasoline or oil. And, and so, uh, uh, you know, so that confuses the whole debate as to what's believable and, and what's not. And uh, uh, you're right in the past, and it goes to trust. I mean, we don't trust we don't trust Congress. I mean, the Supreme Court used to be in such high esteem, you know, where 70, 80 percent of the people said, well, they're on the right track. They're doing the right thing. Not anymore. Uh, they're lower than than Congress. Probably and, so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's not just with the couple of recent decisions, some of which we may get to today. But uh, this has been going on for some time, the erosion of, of uh, those who feel like that uh, the court has gone is off track and not looking out. And it comes down to what the average person in, and you know, you're from a small area up around Macomb, Mississippi, and I spent a good part of my life, little town of Faraday. And uh, uh, in rural America particularly, there's just suspicions about the inf- the information that's coming out. And Well, like they say, all politics are local. And if it's not affecting you personally, you know, people tend to kind of roll with it until it affects them personally. And then a lot of these decisions that we hear coming out of the Supreme Court takes a while for them to trickle down 
to affecting someone personally. Well, but I, I to, to some degree, I, I agree with you. But then we have this agenda on the national level where you have Fox News and there are people that uh, I, my wife and I, Gladys and I went to visit some folks and, and some comment was made that my daughter used to be uh, on the weekend, uh, the Today Show, hosted the Today Show on the weekends. And, and they go, well, gosh, I haven't seen her. So all we, our channel just stays on Fox News. We don't want <laughs> anything but Fox News. And I'm not knocking that. I'm saying that uh, so there's one set of values that come there. On the other hand, uh, MSNBC tends to, to catch the pendulum going the other way. I remember when uh, uh, I was in New York visiting my daughter, and I went to the NBC studios and met Joe Scarborough yeah. and, and his wife, Mika, uh, uh, and uh, uh, they were uh, they had Rudy Giuliani on the day I was there in the green room, and they had a, a number of more moderate. Uh, Bill Bennett was there, a conservative Republican. Not anymore. You don't find guests like that anymore. It has become much more liberal in the view that it espouses. And so, uh, uh, so we have these. T- you got almost got to pick pick what side you're on anymore. A- and that is beaming into rural America to where there, the, the distrust continues to come about. And, and it's not just in America. This you, You're finding this true in countries across the world. We've just never had this confrontation we have now. Or if we had them in an election campaign, uh, both parties and the, the populist folks across America would put it behind us, say, okay, let's support the winner. That's our president now, or whoever it happens to be. And uh, we'll live to fight another day the next campaign. Not anymore. No. The day after that election's over, it's a fraud, election fraud. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> they start before the election. <laughs> Saying, this is not going to be a fair election. <laughs> <laughs> Unless I win. That's right. <laughs> if I win, everything went smoothly. That's right. Because we sounded the alarm. <laughs> uh, uh, well, it's a it's an interesting time, I, and I— uh, for a lot of the podcasters that don't know Rana and I have been in the, in the public sector and in public offices. Rana was my first assistant when I was Secretary of State, and uh, I was insurance commissioner, was a state senator, and Rana's worked for a variety of campaigns, and we were making the comment off the air. You know, we've got a governor's race coming up, and I dug into an old, uh, uh, an old uh, case that was up in the attic, and I came across a hat that said, Jim Brown for governor. And a lot of our, our listeners may not realize that I ran for governor in 1987. That was 30, 35 years ago. But uh, it wasn't yesterday. Yeah, that's right. 30, <clears throat> and uh, I jokingly put the hat on to wear it around and, and about governor. And, and we got talking. I said, you know, who would want to serve in a situation like that where you're plummeted on the left, if you're on the right, and, and vice versa, and there's no middle ground, and overriding the governor, and veto sessions, and the issues, not education, not the state budget, not clean air, not our quality of life in terms of the arts and that kind of thing. No, it's abortion, it's uh, uh, gay rights, it, it's all uh, personal issues that... Ne- that whatever your opinion was, it wasn't involved in dealing with issues of the state legislature. Right. They used <laughs> to separate abortion as being a federal issue. 
but that's all gone away too. And we've gone hard in on uh, criminalizing the performing abortions for the doctors and for the medical patients. We've uh, passed laws on that gun control, um, trying to block federal laws from affecting us and our Second Amendment rights. I mean, you're right. They've taken the culture wars on on the state level, trying to pass laws that will uh, prevent any moderation on anything. And the events that drive the uh, culture issues we've talked about, whether it be gay rights, whether it be gun control, whether it be abortion, <clears throat> those issues aren't new issues. I mean, I mean that those right. are problems or uh, or concepts that have been around for years. Uh, I was a senator for eight years, and we never dealt with any cultural issue of any kind. You know, it just never was relevant. We were dealing with, uh, you know, f uh, getting the blacktop paved on your road and and uh, uh, keeping the levees up so you didn't flood and, and things that, that affected lots of people's lives. We didn't get into your individual way you live your life. Right. And, uh, and transgender rights have become such a big issue. And I um, mean, I have no idea of the numbers in the population or anything, but this is, again, a smaller segment of the population, and it dominates the news. I mean, they've demonized these poor people, and it, it can dominate political debate. And I think, how often does this come up? That, you know, that it's like they're solutions looking for a problem out there to, to pass another law. I never uh, heard of any protests, and maybe there's one or two I don't know about where a transgender child, a, a male who became a female, then is competing against other females in events and, and uh, uh, is bigger and more muscular. And so uh, uh, should that person be allowed to compete? Uh, and uh, uh, what a put down to the child and yet how you how you fare with other kids. So, the, you know, I'm not those aren't just throwaway issues. Those right. are. Uh, the whole library uh, book. Banning books, right. <laughs> uh, uh, and in fact, uh, and I don't have quite the objection as a parent and grandparent and lots of kids to deal with of, of saying that maybe you shouldn't have very sexually explicit books available to young kids, that they may be, be put in a, a separate section of the library Although, again, the books have been around for, you know, hundreds of years, and I've never, it was never an issue. No one ever brought it up. Uh, but if it's going to be a front burner issue, there ought to be a reasonable solution along those lines. But what we're doing now is, you see, they're rewriting books. Uh, they, yes. You have censors going in and saying, well, we've got to pull out certain words. We, uh, Uncle Tom, rather, uh, uh, Mar uh, Mark Twain, you know, Huckleberry Finn, Tom Sawyer. The N-word was used, which is a word that was uh, very uh, uh, used a good bit back then. Well, do you take Mark Twain's books and rewrite them and, and uh, uh, just cut out paragraphs to see? Uh, and my answer, of course, is no. I'm, I'm a publisher, and I publish your very popular book that you've written, uh, and uh, Rana, and— um, uh, so I'm very defensive about that kind of thing, but it's just going on more and more. Thank but you bring it, up a good point about <laughs> more institutions that we've torn down. I mean, 
there was some trust in the local librarian to manage this, and it never seemed to be a problem. And now they're demonizing, parents are demonizing librarians and accusing these nice people of all sorts of things. Same thing with teachers. As hard a time as we have getting good teachers, you know, they're firing teachers for showing students Michelangelo's David. (laughs) And everything is so harsh and divisive and lack of trust everywhere. You know, there's just no, you can't trust the te- your school's teacher. You can't, you, the parent, they want all the control for the parents, except if the parents want to get some health care for a transgender child that's struggling, well, then take that child away from those parents. You know, suddenly the parents can't decide. It's just chaos out there. Uh, I was, uh, last month, I was on a family vacation. A lot of my grandkids joined me and a couple of my children and going to Europe. And uh, uh, I was in Italy for a couple of weeks and, and uh, was in France. None of that, and I read the, the, the newspapers. Uh, there was translations of newspapers there. I didn't see the issues there. I think in in the capital, I know that uh, Macron, the uh President of or the president of France is facing some some divisive issues over police accountability, but I don't see those issues permeating uh, Europe. Uh, now they've always been a part of issues in, in Saudi Arabia, where there's such a conservative blant on on women covering their face and can't drive, and all these r- ridiculous uh, uh, and. You know, if you're raped, you, you know, you're, you're the one at fault. I mean, terrible things that go on there. I didn't sense that in Europe, though. And I don't say, from what I read, I don't sense that in South America. Why has the lightning bolt struck America so much as it has? Well, everybody, every country's got hot political elections and all, but I've always thought it came down to politics and the ability to turn an electric by stoking hate. I mean, I've done negative campaign ads, as you are aware, and they do motivate people to action. There's no question. And I think, like everything, we just tend to take things too far. And a lot of this is for political advantage, whether it's on an issue or with around a candidate, that you go stoke the controversy and the negative side because that's more likely to motivate people to go against something. You know, I always say that about public meetings. I, I, My firm does a lot of public projects, works on public projects. We try to get the public to come out. If you're doing something the public thinks is a good idea, why would they come to a public meeting? Just to come say, hey, you're doing a really good job. I just wanted to come by and thank you. No. But if you do something that they don't like, droves of people come out. So it's just the fact that the negativity motivates people to some sort of action. Well, you make a good point that, and for years when I was in political life, I was involved in on the receiving end of negative ads, and and then uh, the giving end. Then on the giving end, that's right. Uh huh. And rather than just dealing with the issues, so I have to confess that I I had both sides involved in that kind of thing, and it, but it was for one individual. Mm-hmm. Now what you say, it's evolved to where the same neg- negativism, if it's working in a campaign against one individual, let's use it as a political ploy. And particularly if there's a 
uh, a group of supporters that that believe in it, believe in that issue, you can raise dollars. You can That's raise right. money. You see, That's right. so it's a fundraising issue, and and we've seen that on the left and the right, to where uh, groups have have raised dollars. Look, I'm fighting this good fight, and and you know, in this day and age, when you can zero in on social media or on mailing lists and get right to the people that believe the issues you want to push, uh, which we didn't really didn't have, you know, 10, 15 years ago, you can stir up uh, uh, a good group of support, raise money and inflame that group all the more. Yes, the culture wars work. You and I had a conversation off air about this, uh, which is the next step we're going to see. You we used to have all this opposition research where it just, you know, tirelessly hire people, you know, law students just go pour over things, pour through newspaper accounts and find people saying something uh, that you could use against them or videotapes of, of their speeches. Well, now you and I were talking, just use AI and get them to say whatever you want. They're going to be able to do that, especially on the Internet. Now, the FCC might pass some regulations on broadcast, but on the Internet, you're going to be able to take anyone's likeness and have them say whatever you want them to say. And, and you believe it's that person. You know, it's uh, uh, it's Joe Biden, it's Donald Trump, whoever, and the words in their mouth are not their words, but it comes across just as believable as you could possibly be. Right. Uh, and that's a whole— How again, do you regulate that? That's a whole different issue for another show. And just to give you another focus on it, uh, actors and or families of deceased actors are rushing to copyright and protect the image of that person because AI could take uh, a, another person and do a whole uh, uh, movie and put Paul Newman in there and, and semi-impose there and it's Paul Newman. I mean, he's talking, and it's they, his voice. It's the same voice. They've taken the voice. They've taken the whole thing. Elizabeth Taylor, John Wayne, uh, Clark Gable, you could see, uh, Gone with the Wind, too, with Clark Gable <laughs> and Vivian Lee. Where they rewrite history, and uh, yeah, that's right. there's nothing ugly about uh, the that's war right, whatsoever. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be uh, a blockbuster. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> oh, what, the, what is the world coming to? I what know, is the world coming to? Uh, well, I said we were going to talk for a few minutes about artificial, rather not our, well, we did about artificial intelligence, but, and, and again, uh, uh, on, uh, you're, you're going to be able, uh, I, I was uh, listening to a radio show host, I know, and uh, uh, to artificial intelligence, he gave his name and like a sentence or two about the show and his Wikipedia page. And that's and it's go and within like a minute, artificial intelligence completed the whole sixty-second spot for his show. Bill's done this great show here, blah blah blah. All done it did within a minute. Six, amazing. Uh, so uh, uh, anyway, well that that shows you what our future is like, and it looks a little gl grim right now. It's, it's all uh, started with how hot it is. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Uh, and we, I had a whole number of topics to talk about today, but we're out of time. Uh, we want to talk about, Naran, we got so much to talk about in the weeks to come. I want to talk about uh, uh, so much, these Supreme Court decisions, for example. 
uh, how it affects us here in Louisiana and all over the South. Uh, want to talk about drugs, fentanyl, some controversial things by our senator involving Mexico and the U.S. on drugs. Uh, our state continues to be one of the most, I think it was named here just last week as the most littered state in the country. Oh, wow. like to talk about that. So, and then we've got to talk about politically correct, what you can and can't say anymore. And I'll tell you, you I'm watching a, uh, a show, I, I'm into suits. Did you oh, ever yeah. watch this? I've gotten, and of course, being a lawyer in New York and may, my being a lawyer, but I've been uh, really taken. I watched three and four episodes of Suits at night. And so in one, uh, the senior partner uh, in the law firm in Suits is a, a very knowledgeable, attractive, and really smart African-American lady. And uh, she's the senior partner. Well, uh, one of the partners comes in and they get romantically inclined. And as he's going, now this is this is probably an episode in 2014. And he walks out the room and he says, don't forget, I'm the Black Stallion. Well, <laughs> could you say that today? Could uh, could I refer to him as the Black Stallion today? Is that, you know, I mean, <laughs> you're, you're, you're walking on coals is what you can say. And I got a whole list. I got a whole list that I never knew were politically incorrect that they are. So, Well, I, I think those all sound good, and we should take up that the Supreme Court decisions next and give our listeners something to look forward to because they've really been coming out with some interesting rulings. Well, that'll be the focus of our next podcast. I'm glad you all listened today. Our podcasts uh, usually put one up every, uh, about once a week, once every other week, and you can find them at datelinelouisiana.com. If you got some topics you'd like us to talk about, uh, we try to focus on Louisiana issues, but not today. As you can tell, we were all over the map today. And so uh, our email address is Huey at datelinelouisiana.com. So uh, send us a note, if you will. Listen to our podcast. Hey, Ronna, good show today. Glad you joined us. We'll try it again here soon, okay? Sounds good. Take care. Thanks for listening to Dateline Louisiana with Jim Brown and Ronna Gray. To subscribe to this podcast or contact Jim or Ronna, visit datelinelouisiana.com. We hope you'll join us again next week for more news and reflections from the Bayou State.